If you go to the doctor and you are relating that you've got some kind of physical problem going on with your body, and a physical examination, it does not satisfy the physician that something that he can determine or she can determine what's wrong with you, then there's a good chance that physician is going to order up what's called a CAT scan. Probably a number of you out here have had them. And that CAT scan is going to enable the physician to be able to look inside your body and try to ascertain exactly what's going wrong so they can get a diagnosis and a treatment. Now, to give you relief this morning, we don't offer CAT scans here at the church, all right? So you don't have to worry about us rolling a table in here and doing a CAT scan of your body. Although that would be an interesting way to make money, you know, and add to the budget and so forth. But just suppose that we did bring a table in this morning and we had a machine that could do a CAT scan of your soul. And each of us came up here and we laid on the table and that machine went over us and looked into our soul and did a CAT scan of our soul. What would be the diagnosis? God wants the CAT scan of our soul to be able to reveal His blessing in our lives. That we have received His blessing and that we are living in His blessing. We're in a series of messages on the life of Joseph and the title of the series is A Journey into the Confusing Will of God. And I chose the word confusing intentionally because so much of what happened with Joseph is he followed the Lord seemed totally confusing. How in the world could God be taking and using this set of circumstances in my life? This makes no sense. Where is God? And Joseph, if he had chosen to, could have gotten a CAT scan result back that showed bitterness towards God, total confusion towards God, and anger towards God for all that he had lost. But as we join the story of Joseph today in the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis, we're going to see that the CAT scan of his soul, instead of showing bitterness and confusion and anger towards God, rather is going to show the blessing of God that he is living in and that he is discovering as he has been taken as a slave to Egypt. Turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And as you turn there, allow me to set the historical context out of which Joseph is working and living. He is in what was known as Egypt's 15th dynasty, ruled by the Hyssops from 1720 to 1570 B.C. This was a group of pharaohs who ruled the nation of Egypt and brought it to its supreme power. Now let me describe the kind of environment Joseph would have been in. Joseph was Jewish and Israelite. He had been taken into Egypt. He is there in Egypt and every morning at the crack of dawn when he wakes up, he would have woken up to the sound of the chanting that was offered to the gods of the Egyptians. As he would have gotten out of bed and looked out his window or walked through the home in which he was in, he would have seen servants 
They were taking the gods, the physical gods of Egypt. They every morning would wash the idols down. They would then clothe them in glamorous clothing. And then they would offer to them food offerings for their ceremonial breakfast. And this is the atmosphere that Joseph is in. He would have never have heard the Lord God Yahweh's name mentioned. He would not have heard the God of Israel even acknowledged. And Egypt was filled with all kinds of gods. If you went to a place of learning in school or at the university, Thad, the God of learning, is who you would have worshipped. Ray was the God of the sun. And so he would have seen people go out into the streets of Egypt and look up into the sky and begin to worship the sun god Ray. This is interesting. The sky goddess was named Nut. So I guess if you said you were nutty, you were worshiping the sky god. And the next time you see somebody you think is nutty, just tell them they must be worshiping the sky god Nut. Uh, Pharaoh was even considered a god. And Joseph is in the house of Potiphar, who is one of Pharaoh's chief advisors. And so no doubt the worship of Pharaoh would have been transpiring all around him inside the house where he was. So Joseph is literally at the epicenter of the spiritual darkness of Egypt. And this is the situation that he finds himself in as we join him, his story in Genesis 39, beginning with verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had bought him, brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Look, notice the use of the conjunction. Key. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was, there's that conjunction again, with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From, that, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, my sermon outline is containing your bulletins, and I invite you, if you will, to follow along. Joseph is living out of the blessing of God and discovering the blessing of God. And Joseph first discovers that God blesses with his presence. God blesses Joseph with his presence. Verse 2. It says that the Lord was with him. Now, the term Lord there is the personal name of God given in Scripture in the Old Testament, Yahweh. It is the covenant name of God. God had gone to Abraham back earlier in Genesis, and he says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands that are on the seashore. And Abraham received that covenant promise from God. And Joseph here is experiencing God recommitting himself, even in Egypt, to fulfilling that promise as he preserves and prospers Joseph. So he is experiencing Yahweh being with him, even in the darkness of the situation where he finds himself. And then notice that preposition there, excuse me, that conjunction, the Lord is with him. 
The Lord is with him. And I'm probably getting my English mixed up there. I do think it's a preposition. Anyone, one of you English teachers, you can correct me on that one. The Lord is with him. Even in Egypt, the Lord is with him. Even in the darkness of the situation and the confusion, the Lord is with him. Now, the ancients believed that their gods were only as powerful as the specific geographical area where they were acknowledged. So, for example, the gods of Egypt were believed to be powerful only in Egypt. The God of Israel was going to be powerful in Israel. But would the God of Israel be powerful in Egypt? And what God is proving to Joseph here, and he will begin to prove to Egypt as the story unfolds, is that God is as powerful in Egypt as he is in Israel. Now, we play the same game with God, but we don't realize it so often. And it's simply this. We're in church on Sunday morning. We just finished great worship time. We're hearing a message from God's Word. But all of us are going to leave here. We're going to go out the doors. We're going to walk into the rest of our lives. And the question is, is God as powerful at work tomorrow as He is in this room right now? Is God as powerful when you get a bad report from the doctor as when you get a good report from the doctor? Is God as powerful when your marriage is in a mess as when your marriage is strong? Is God as powerful when everything is going with your family the way you want it to and when you get a bad report on your child? And see, so often what we tend to do is we say, well, God is powerful when things are going well, but I don't know that the power of God and the presence of God can carry over into the Egypts that we find ourselves in. And what God was proving to Joseph is, I'm as present in your life in Egypt as I am in Israel. The circumstances of your life do not determine the presence and power of who I am. And folks, one of the greatest realities that we can walk in is that the power of God and the presence of God is not determined by the circumstances of our lives. All of us are going to pull some Egypt time. And when we pull that Egypt time... The greatest reality is that God is with us, just like he was with Joseph. Jesus said, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28 and verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, if you look out there, I don't care how long your lifespan goes and how long eternity goes, I'm there. But even more important, whatever you see out there, no matter what the valleys are or what the mountains are, He says, I am with you. Nothing keeps me from being with you. Now, the Lord also blesses in a strange place. Notice where it says Joseph is. He is in the house of his Egyptian master. He's in the house of his Egyptian master. The real master in the house was the Lord God. It appeared that Potiphar was the master. But Potiphar was simply an instrument in the hands of the master to accomplish God's will for Joseph. Folks, we don't have any earthly masters. There are times that it appears we have an earthly master. But our earthly masters are simply instruments in the hands of God to accomplish what he wants. Now, some of you will hear me say this and say, you don't know who I work for. 
You don't know who I got to face tomorrow morning or tonight. There is no way that person could be an instrument in the hand of God. But anybody in anything in any situation can be an instrument in the hand of God to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. It says that the Lord is with him and that Potter, for verse 3, takes note that the Lord is with him. Verse 3, it says, the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed. So Potiphar is looking around at Joseph day in and day out. He watches him as he handles the business affairs of the house. He watches him as he relates to people. He noticed that everything that Joseph is touching is succeeding. And Potiphar starts thinking that this guy is succeeding past his age. He was probably in his late teens or early 20s at the time. This guy is succeeding. He's got wisdom and discernment past what I would expect of a young man. He's new to this area, but he seems to be understanding the culture and how to relate. Something's going on with this guy. And Potiphar's also probably thinking, you know, he doesn't worship the same gods that I do. He doesn't even worship Pharaoh. What's going on with this guy? He keeps talking about this God Yahweh, and I don't even know who this God Yahweh is. And he prays to this God Yahweh, and I never heard of this God Yahweh. But something's going on between this guy Joseph and his God Yahweh. And there's something going on here. He's seeing the blessing of God for himself. And folks, when God is blessing your life, people see it. People take notice of it. Notice verse 5, it says, The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. And this is something I love about the blessing of God. It spills out. You can't contain it in your life. When God's blessing begins to pour into your life, it will ooze out of your life. It will spill out of your life. And it will bless the people who are around you. You walk with Jesus, and sooner or later, the blessing is going to spill out in your marriage. It's going to spill out on your children. It's going to spill out on the people you work with. It's going to spill out on the people in the neighborhood. Anybody you get around, the blessing of God is going to spill out of your life. It's going to touch other people's lives. They're going to take notice of the blessing of God that they are seeing in your life because you can't contain the blessing of God in your life. Joseph's there in Egypt, and he acted like God was blessing him, and he began to act out the blessing of God. Now, we saw several weeks ago that Joseph's dad, Jacob, had made this really ornamental robe for him to wear, and it spoke of administrative ability and authority, sort of like wearing a business suit in our culture. And then the brothers, who were very jealous of Joseph, ripped the robe off of him, and he basically goes to Egypt in rags. And he would have been dressed in Egypt in a slave's outfit in Potiphar's house. God allowed Joseph to be stripped of his robe. So that Joseph's faith would be in the Lord and not in his robe. I want to say that again. God allowed Joseph to be stripped of his robe so that his faith would be in God and not in his robe. You see, Joseph put his robe on every day and he walked around and he said, You got to listen to me, you got to follow me, I got authority, I'm somebody because I got my robe on. 
And God said, I'm taking your robe away from you so that all you got now is me. And your faith's not going to be in your robe, Joseph. Your faith's going to be in me. And folks, God's going to step into our lives whenever we start putting our trust in our robes. And he's going to strip the robes away from us. So that our trust is in him and not in the robe. And sometimes God even has to strip things from our lives that he gave us because we start trusting in what he gave us instead of him. And when we cross the line, God says, you're putting your trust in the wrong place, so i got to strip it away from you. If you are highly gifted and have abilities, sometimes we start trusting in our gifting and our ability, what we're able to accomplish, and God strips that away from us. It's not because he doesn't love us and care about us. God is saying you're putting your trust in the wrong place. You're making an idol out of the things that I put in your life, and i got to take it away from you so that you will trust in me and me only. Now, Joseph's over there working hard every day in Potiphar's house. And he doesn't have a victim mentality. Poor me. I got sold into slavery. Poor me. I got my robe ripped off of me. You know, I'm down here stuck in Egypt. It's hot. I'm working for these Egyptians. I can't stand them. I, you know, I'm dealing with all this mess in this guy's house trying to keep his business straight. I, this is a terrible situation. He didn't do that. He said, you know, I'm down here. I didn't want to be down here. I didn't choose to be down here. But God placed me here, and God's got a, something for me, and God can bless me here. Tom Rainier says this. It's in your notes. Please think about it. You can't have a victim mentality if you are to have the mind of Christ. You cannot have a victim mentality if we are to have the mind of Christ. If we walk around complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves and licking our wounds all the time about how tough we've got in life and how unfair everything is and how tired, worn out we are, etc., etc., that is not the mind of Christ. I cannot live with a victim mentality if I have the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The mind of Christ says that I belong to Him and the greatest basic reality of my life is that I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to my circumstances. I don't belong to a victimizer. I don't belong to any of that junk. I belong to Jesus. As we just sang, I am a child of God. That is the greatest reality about my life. And so that is the mind of Christ and I can't operate with that victim mentality. I'm rather going to be God-centered. Joseph could have been bitterness-centered, he could have been fear-centered, but he chose to be God-centered in his life. Now, let's look at the blessing of God. The word blessing in the Old Testament in the Hebrew means to empower for success. It is the idea of being given prosperity and longevity. It is the idea of to show favor so that when God blesses somebody, He empowers them for success, prosperity, and longevity, and He shows them His favor. Blessing is compared in the Old Testament to the concept of rain bringing refreshment, growth, abundant life, and vitality. Now, often in the Old Testament, the concept of blessing is tied to material blessing. And that is when people are blessed, they prosper materially. In terms of materialism. And God blesses them with material things. Usually with land and cattle and things of that nature. Now in the New Testament it's very different. The concept of blessing always means in both the Old and the New Testament. That the power of God is ratified in a person's life 
by action. In other words, God says, I'm going to bless. And so God does something to demonstrate the blessing that he has pronounced. Now, in the New Testament, the power of God, the blessing of God is experienced in our life in a number of ways. First of all, God's comfort and God's inner healing. He blesses us by reaching into our lives and perfecting inner healing. Let me give you one warning on that. When God starts bringing inner healing to your life, the first thing He's got to do is point out the disease. Now, I love getting healed, but I don't enjoy the diagnosis on the way to the prognosis. I, I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but I do this every time I go to a doctor's office and I'm sick. I'm sitting in the office sick waiting to see the doctor, and I hope he's going to tell me there's nothing wrong with me. Well, that's stupid. I mean, you know, I don't show up in the doctor's office. He can say, oh, you're in wonderful shape, David. I don't know why you came here today. And when we go to God for inner healing, God's got to say, this is a sickness. This is a problem you got in your life. He's got to give us the diagnosis so he can begin the prognosis in our lives. So when God begins to bless with inner healing, that's the first thing that he's going to do is show us where the illness is in our lives. He's going to bring his peace to us, his wholeness, his well-being, his joy, his hope, and his power in our lives. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Notice it's past tense. Who has blessed us, where? In Christ Jesus, with every spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly places. I love the way Paul uses there the past tense. He has already blessed us. Where is the blessing? It's in the Lord Jesus With what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he's already pronounced that blessing in my life. I've just got to choose to live in that blessing and walk in that blessing. And as I walk with Jesus, I'm going to walk in the blessing that God has for me. Now, I want us to see how the blessing gets played out. He, excuse me, the book of Mark, chapter 10 and verse 13. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them, that is the children, in his arms... And bless them, laying his hands on them. Now notice what Jesus does in this story to give his blessing to these children. These children are brought to him, and he is there to bless these children. And the first thing that happens is the disciples and some folks jump up and say, Oh, don't bother to bring these kids to Jesus. He's got bigger, more important things to do. And Jesus gets ticked off about that, and he says, You let these kids come to me. Listen, somebody's always going to try to stand in between you and the blessing that Jesus has got for you. Just mark that down. devil's always going to throw something in there to try to keep the blessing from happening. So the kids come up to Jesus. Now, I want you to notice the three things that happen in this story. The first thing is it says that Jesus puts his arms around them. Now, most of the pictures that you all have seen of Jesus, he has long hair and he looks very peaked and weak and so forth. Have you noticed that? That's some artist's conception of Jesus. Jesus grew up in a carpenter shop. 
And in those days, carpenters worked primarily with stone. They went to quarries, quarried out the stone, and then they would form and shape stuff out of stone in addition to wood. Now, it is hard to look weak and pitiful when you work with stone and heavy wood all day long. If you had seen Jesus, he would have had some guns on him. He would have had some muscles. I mean, you can't work with stone and wood as heavy as it was in those days with no electrical. I mean, he had to do everything manually. And tell me he's weak and vacillating doing that when you're hauling that for decade after decade. So can you imagine when he put his arms around the children what they would have felt? They would have felt some muscles coming around them. They would have felt some strength coming around them. They would have said, this guy... Has got it going on. Then it says that he blessed them. Verbally, he spoke blessing into them. It doesn't tell us what the blessing would have been, what he exactly said, but the blessing in the New Testament always has a future connected to it. He would have spoke blessing into them about their future. And then it says that he laid his hands on them. And in the New Testament era, following through from the Old Testament era, when you laid your hands on some of them, one. And again, these would have been those rough, strong hands of a carpenter. When he laid his hands on them, it was a sign of a transfer of power from one person to another. I want us to fast forward for a minute from those kids into their adulthood. Can you imagine for the rest of your life, if you were one of those children, every time your mind went back and visited that moment, what you would have thought of? The strong arms of Jesus were around me. Jesus spoke into my life. And told me the future I was going to have. Jesus laid those hands on me. And the power of God flowed into me. Now I cannot prove this. But when I get to heaven someday. I want to ask Jesus. Can you tell me the story of what happened with these kids. And I fully expect them to be named as leaders in the early church. Because that day was not just about that day. It was about the rest of their lives. And I can imagine at the end of their life, when they were breathing their last breath, that they said that the same arms that wrapped around me that day when I was a kid are around me now to take me to heaven. That the blessing that He pronounced on me now is going to be fully completed as I make my heavenly journey. And the same hands that transferred power on me then are going to go into my soul and take me into His presence. Now I want you to follow me on what I'm about to say. Joseph knew the blessing of God because he did not let bitterness take over his soul and block the blessing. I believe that more believers in Jesus miss the blessing of God because of bitterness 
than anything else. We get bitter with God. We get bitter with other Christians. We get bitter about this. We get revengeful about that, etc. And we miss what God's got for us. Because, listen, the bitterness will never, never even begin to satisfy like the blessing of God will. Don't sell yourself out on nursing bitterness and miss out on blessing. I don't care what you are tempted to be bitter about. Now, I want you to follow one final thing here. Joseph is in Egypt knowing the blessing of God. Joseph's great-grandfather was Abraham. And Abraham knew the blessing of God as he left in obedience Ur of the Chaldees and went out to where God said, I'm going to take you to a place and I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And you don't know where you're going, but Abraham, you're going to know my blessing. Then Abraham has a son. And he gets his son Isaac. And he takes him up to Mount Moriah. And Isaac says, Daddy, who's, where's the sacrifice going to come from up here? And Abraham says, son, I don't know, but God's going to provide us a sacrifice. And he lays his son Isaac, which would have been Joseph's granddaddy, out on the altar. And he gets ready to sacrifice his son. And then God gives a ram. He provides. And Isaac experiences the blessing of God as he lays there on the altar and watches God's provision. So now the blessing has gone from great-grandfather Abraham to grandfather Isaac. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob, Joseph's dad. And Jacob knows the blessing of God in that he had messed his brother Esau up. And Esau is coming after him. And Jacob thinks, man, Esau is going to kill me and wipe me out. I deserve it. And when he has this confrontation with Esau, Esau comes up and he forgives his brother. And the family is restored. And Jacob knows the blessing of God. It's gone from the great-grandfather to the grandfather to Joseph's dad. But the blessing now has to move from Jacob's generation to Joseph's generation. And the reason that God is blessing Joseph is so that Joseph now will experience the blessing of God in his generation so that eventually he will turn to his children and pass the blessing of God off to them. You see, I've got to know the blessing of God and experience the blessing of God so that I can pass the blessing of God to the next generation. I had to know and experience the blessing and presence and provision of Jesus so that I could then turn to my son as I was raising him and tell him about the blessing of God, watch him see the blessing of God in our family and then pass it on to him for the next generation. I want to submit to you that I believe one of the biggest issues that we have in the United States today is we are now into the second generation of Americans who have not known the blessing of God. And I don't mean by that material possessions. I mean that we're into the second generation of Americans who most have not grown up knowing what it is to see parents pray at the table before they eat. That have not known what it is to grow up in a family with a family altar where mom and dad and the children sit down and several times a week open the Word of God and pray together. 
where young boys have grown up in homes and never heard their dad utter the name of God unless a curse word is attached to it. Where a beer is more important than the word of God in the family. Where they don't know what it is to be able to respect a parent for being faithful to a mate for a lifetime. When they don't even know what it is to see a marriage transpire. We are missing the blessing of God. And folks, when you miss the blessing of God in a generation, it leads to blasphemy. And that's why I believe our culture today is so filled with blaspheme in the name of God, in the work of God, in the person of God, because we desperately need the blessing of God. We need a generation that can pass the blessing on. Joseph is knowing the blessing of God in Egypt so that he can bless his children. And the blessing can flow to yet another generation. Folks, the most important thing you will do with your children and your grandchildren is experience the blessing of God. So that you can then bless them and they can see the blessing. And they can be thirsty for the blessing. And say, I want it. And I need it. And Joseph experienced the blessing of God. In a strange place. With strange people. And then he was able to pass it on. A lot of you I'm talking to this morning. You'd say, Pastor, I am living in Egypt. And God's word for you is, I know that. But I got a blessing for you. In Egypt. The funeral yesterday that I attended for Doris Jackson, 96 years of age, Doris pulled some Egypt time. Nine years ago, she buried the love of her life. They had been married for 65 years. Decades prior to that, she and her husband had watched their adult son in his 30s fight a losing battle with a brain tumor and had buried their son. She knew what it was to have agonizing grief and loss in her life. But she knew the blessing of God that you had to sometimes struggle for and fight for and work for and live in. And there was two main things that were said about her yesterday. She always had the nicest smile. And she always had a kind word to say. Because on the good days and the bad days. She found the blessing of God. And she found it in those Egypt times. That she had to pull. Folks all of us are going to spend some time in Egypt. There's no question about that. And we can either get bitter in Egypt. Or we can be blessed in Egypt. It's our decision to make. Let's pray. Lord. We ask this morning that God you would help us. Because Lord. We're either in Egypt or we're headed to one, or we're coming out of one. But Lord, you bless us with your presence. God, you bless us in a strange place. 
Lord, we want the CAT scan of our soul to show your blessing. And Jesus, we want to rejoice in that blessing. And God, each of us wants and asks this day, God, that you'd help us, Lord, to discover that blessing and walk in that blessing so that, Lord, in our homes, with our children, with our grandchildren, we can pass the blessing on to the next generation. The Father, we can say, God did this. God blessed. God worked. That God, our children, our grandchildren can look into our lives and they can see your blessing at work. And it will, God, make them thirsty to want to know that same blessing in their lives. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, in a moment as we sing, I want to invite you to walk the aisle of this church and say, I want to know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you sense that God's calling you and leading you to be part of this church family, then we invite you to come. Join here with us. The Lord speaking to you in any other way, feel free to come. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you and wherever you are in your journey with the Lord. And if you just need, while we're singing, to talk to the Lord and saying, God, help me to find the blessing in my life and to walk in the blessing that you're giving me. Your word says you've already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I've got to discover that blessing and walk in it. Then talk to him about that. I ask you to do so as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.